Ken Shock, formerly of Candiri and Fuel, but above all else, a high-class drummer, just amazing, uh, and also great with communication and philosophies. But ultimately, passion is for life right now. I think that's how we become a more successful adult and stay creative and aiming for greatness, is that we keep that mindset, a general passion for life itself. When you keep to yourself and strive for something great, you stand out more. Because mm -hmm. you're not worried about fitting in. That involves your investment of time, passion, and commitment, mm -hmm. and a desire to excel to the areas of greatness you feel you should. I'm very lucky in that regard. I, I feel very lucky. I'm very thankful every day that my mom and dad were both lovers of music. Um, my dad played some ukulele, played a little banjo. He could fiddle on the piano, and he could even, you know, work rhythms a little bit. He had good timing. So there was um, a rhythm in his blood. So there was that as an undertone very early on to see and to experience. And then my mom, like I said, she just loved music. She liked to dance to music. She enjoyed the freedom of being engaged in the experience of how music truly lifts your body up. It gives your body life. Uh, just to go on a quick tangent, if we're not giving our body motivation and reason to lift up, then we're going to fall down. We have weight. That means we fall. So we have to work every day just to actually stand. And, you know, our skeleton works to some degree, but 
we have to hone some level of stable muscle ability to hold ourselves up and live out a day. If we keep letting it just fall, they drag, we hold down things, and we create weight that doesn't need to be there. So ultimately, we want to try and almost, and I was talking with a, a guitarist, a friend of mine, martial artist too, about that whole concept of actually being conscious of keeping yourself lifted. Like for an example, when you go up the stairs, even if you take one or two stairs at a time, go up the stairs in a way as if you're lifting yourself up the stairs, not falling into each step, but being conscious of actually lifting up. Every single thing like that lends itself into then how I could be physically applicable here on this drum set. I can't play drums the way I do if I'm not consciously aware of being physically fit and healthy all day long. I actually, my friend shared a post I made and this guy reacted back saying that basically a person like that, either they, they pound it up and then they wear themselves out or they have to figure out how to run five miles a day or do something to be ready for it. I mean, you had asked me, Chris, you had said one hour warm up with a question mark. Yeah. And yet, because if I don't, if I don't pound out for, if I don't work for an hour straight and play for an hour straight, how can I expect to play on stage for an hour straight? Yeah. And if I'm conditioning myself during that hour playing time, playing hard in times and doing things that are over exaggerated, you know, it goes back to um, my five to one principle. If you got to do something for 10 seconds, do it for 50 seconds. So that 10 seconds, it's like nothing. It's a Tiger Woods concept. Tiger Woods would run five miles a day so that walking a golf course would feel like a walk down the block. He said that in an interview once and I was like, that's, that's what it's all about. It, over conditioning is bad if you're not conditioning yourself with the proper routine and the proper form. But if you're doing the right thing and you know how to do it, like for example today, I did my hour, I took a break, and then I stretched. I wasn't going to play again without doing some stretching. I just put my body under an hour of rigorous motion and everything else. So stretched a little bit, played some more. And then as soon as I started feeling a little more tension, I took another break. You know, I'm not, I'm not about like some drummers have, every drummer has a different concept, how they want to go about creating music. Chris, you and I had touched on this, I think. There's the drummer that wants to be a rhythmic player and get involved in the focus of learning the intricacies of rhythmic breakdown. And I'm not opposed to that, but I made a decision in my late teens to just be focused on how to develop musically. My drum teacher had a lot of wisdom that led me more down that path. Now he could blaze around the kit. And so I, I, I knew that there was a way to combine the two. And again, being lucky enough to get into things like golf and martial arts and just having this inquisitive nature to want to understand the depth of how things work. Yeah. It's something that we can go either way with it. We can get so heady with it that we lose touch of what it means to feel life. So there's a real, you know, the whole stop and smell the roses combined with like, shut up and do your job. You know, you got to, you got to have them both working at all times. Like I was saying to you, John, you know, it's like a constant thing. Yeah. It's not an ADD thing or um, some kind of like never manifesting true focus or never manifesting 
true experience. It's, it's about understanding when each one is applicable. Because there's times where you know, you know, it's life here, we're all adults, you gotta buckle down, and it's like, hey, fill out, this is serious right now. And then when we could be freer and know that there's a little more time to work things out and, and be looser, that's when we have to take advantage of those times. There was a, a show my children were watching for a little while called The Magic School Bus, which is actually an old show from when I was a kid. And there's a point where they get to where their decisiveness is being entangled. They can't find a solution at that point. And that's when the teacher says it's time to get messy. It's time to make mistakes. And what, and what she's telling them is like, look, you've tried all these technical ways of trying to get your solution. Now you're just going to have to go to a place you've never been before. And it might turn out in a way that'll yield the right solution or at least a clue that gets you to the solution. But you've obviously tried what you think is right. So now it's time to go somewhere else and take a chance. And I think, I think that's so vital. My practice routine now, as a kid growing up, that was something that I was kind of, it was unavoidable for me. It was like I had my routines that I worked on, but then I just wanted to, to be free and push it. I wanted to find out what it means to be musical. There was so much influence coming into me personally that was way more music-based and not drummer-based. Yeah. So when you weigh in the scale of like drummer, you just drum, 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 drummer, drummer, drummer type influence, again, listening to music, the listening to music part was way bigger. I had bigger ideas about how I wanted to be a part of this giant, beautiful experience. So that's awesome. The, the downfall of it is that in our craft, we have to be careful though. You know, I'm humble to say a, a year and a half, half of, I had issues with certain dynamic aspects of my playing. And it was something I had to re-engage and be like, whoa, okay, I'm spending all this time mastering a good dynamic range within power hitting, but I, had, I happened upon a gig that was a little lighter and my sensitivity wasn't as good. I had to kind of crash course for a few days, a week or two to try and get as good as I could for the session. Pulled it off, but that was the realization, like, where have you been on that? You know, or like a golfer, where's your sand game? You know, where's your touch around the greens? Huh. Yeah. Driving the ball 350 yards, but you forgot how to chip over a sand, you know? So, yeah. I, you, you got a massive 120-mile-an-hour slap shot, but you can't flick one in off the side. Yeah, I, I have that. Like, I, I, played in a, I think the hockey's better to go with than this. I, I played in a punk band for almost probably 15 years. Right. So I'm playing fast, fast, fast. I go and play with my cousin who plays, like, rock blues. And I'm like, I'm trying to do basic stuff. And he's like... Whoa, you're going way, like, you're doing too much. Are you using double bass? I wasn't using double bass, but he's like, are you using double bass? I'm like, no, no, no. But I'm doing too much. I'm doing all these fills and right. get the basics. Right. We, we, we tend to not realize, and that's like, uh, John, what you were saying before, what you liked about golf is that it is an all-encompassing. We're responsible for so many aspects of succeeding in the game and it's the same in drumming if we want to focus on one genre you know there's no 
there's no detriment to our abilities or ability to gain abilities. It's just we're focused in on one specific type of music. There's nothing wrong with that. I think, though, the problem is when someone says, I want to expand and be diverse, they say that, but then they don't understand the actual gravity of necessary work it takes. It's like, okay, if it takes three hours a day to be good at one genre and you want to be good at three genres, well, you, you got nine hours of work a day now. <laughs> yeah. You want to tackle all that at once. It's like I told a friend once, I was like, dude, if you plan on being a musician for a lifetime and you want to learn that, you know, we were listening to a specific type of music, I was like, make the choice now. It's like, do I want to engage it now? Or do I know I still love it enough that somewhere down the road I'm going to engage it? We, you know, the diversity is a strange thing. Because it's like, yeah, you know, you could spend the nine hours a day for two years straight and come out like this cornucopia of drumming wizardry. Or you could enjoy a lifetime of development. I mean, I enjoy the lifetime experience because, like, I get a kick out of learning. Some people want to, like, get it all and then, you know, shoot it out and then be done in 10 years. Who knows? I don't, I don't know. What, everybody's got a different purpose, a different motivation. Me personally, you know, experiencing it the way I did as a child, it was too, too life-engaging to think that this is something that would be, you know, temporary. Yeah. 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 And, I, and I think you probably would all agree with that. I mean... Does your warm-up warm routine uh, encompass all the dynamic levels, or is it is it focused on what you're doing at the time? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I try to encourage people when I to this particular level where they can do this. It's about because remember you got to play for an hour straight, but you have nothing basically. But at the same time, you can generally work off of what is kind of, like you're saying, current to your repertoire, I guess, if you want, at the time. Um, but what I have is, is actual things that I do. Like I said, I'm not trying to play a song or things like that. I have patterns and, and structures and motions that I'm a part of for the sake of building up body endurance, building up strength, building up flow and and movability. I was, I don't know if I spoke to you, Chris, about this, but I was telling students, a couple or three of them, the way I play, if I'm going to be water, water without a containment will just keep going and going and spread itself thin. Oh, wow. That's, that's we can't see our, right? So we can't see ourselves like that. So if that's the case, then we have to build this invisible wall around us that we have to kind of involve our body, and which is why the core of our body, our abdomen, is such an important part of what I do. Because say I come around this way, and any drummer, whether they know the, the physics behind it or not, they're still doing it. If I come around this way and want to come back to hit this symbol over here, if I don't have a wall for my metaphorical water body to hit off of to get back to, then I'm just going to... You know, just keep going this way. It's it's like you have the principle of hitting through the snare drum and the you know, or hitting through a golf ball, but club is there or your stick is there and it stops, you know? So when it stops at the snare drum, concept is to go through, but I stop. So that has to lend itself to every motion I make now. 
So when I come back, something's got to hit me to send me back this way. And we have to create that in a way that then motion and movability becomes part of what we play. So if I'm playing a beat that's like those motions have to be learned along with what I'm playing. I can't just sit, you know, this, this is not the sit still method. So this is motion. So every motion is part of now my timing and the negative space within the tempo. If I'm not aware of how that's moving and I, I bam, I came right into a student quick on that because I asked him to play and, you know, to try and, I guess not privately, but just thinking that, you know, he wanted me to play wild, like crazy, heavy hitting. He started doing, he, he was missing and I stopped him and I said, dude, there's a foundation of control that must be established before anything crazy like that happens. And what I told him is like, okay, the slap shot, you know, the, the big drive, these are extended swings that exist on two levels. If you talk to a pro, and I've never, you know, analyzed how hockey players view it, but it, it's got to be the same as a pro golfer in that they've got the 80% slap shot, and then they've got the, I'm going to tear this goalie's mask off slap shot, you know? Absolutely. And the golfer has the 80% get it in the fairway drive, and then, hey, I'm going to try and hang it over that 310-yard sand trap and blast one out there. So we have to condition our body. You, you, no amateur golfer could just get up and try and blast it over the trap. You, there's so much more conditioning you get from that 80% to that 1% or 110%. I was showing a drummer yesterday in a lesson. I was like, I was like I'm actually going to go to my local golf store because I'm going to try and find the best swing speed analysis device and figure out how to start analyzing swing speed. Because what I was telling him, I was like, it's interesting if you watch the golf club swing speed, the range of motion dictates the ability to then throw out more velocity, which will give you more club head speed, naturally. So if you have a smaller club, the club head speed goes down. Now, even though the velocity is going down, it's kind of applicable to the size of the club. So it still feels like you're generating a fast swing, but it's slow. The point is, in a drum stroke, if you don't put that extra energy into the stroke, you're not going to get that extra 20, 30 miles an hour of velocity to then drive the stick in and this instead of this end. There's a big difference in it when you can make a shell literally like create super vibration. It's the same thing as the sweet spot on a slap shot or a golf ball. That that butter shot when you hit it and it didn't feel like you hit it. And I have an actual drill. I do it. I did it twice today, and it just it that driving hit, and I do 50 of them in a row. Wow! I just slam the drum. I just bam, 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 and each time. Each time, as I'm doing it, when I come down and slam, the stick moves. Because going back to what you were saying in one of your uh, videos, Chris, about the loose grip, the, the loose stroke, you know, it's funny because I was watching his video, guys, and I'm like, Brad Saxon, professional golfer, gave the exact same tip on how to keep your grip tension for putting. You don't, you don't want to be so tight that you can't 
be manipulative to some degree. Yeah. And you don't be so loose that the, you know, it just falls out of your hand. Man. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah. it was wonderful. Yeah. The point is, is like in that super driving stroke, there's years and years of of conscious awareness of what I needed to do, combined with an unconscious desire to let my physical body figure it out. I, dude, I I don't know. Like every once in a while, it hurts, but. This knuckle right here, I smashed it into my hi-hat for like three, four nights in a row, and then I was just like, all right, I got to figure this out. You know, sometimes it takes that and make those ergonomic decisions. All right, if I'm wailing, you know, you got to understand, it's like it's a boxer, and when they're learning how to throw that massive right hook, their first few times, they're too close probably, or maybe too far away. You know, I watch my daughter in her martial arts class and some of the other kids, and that distance, knowing your range of motion and your reach to then know exactly where you need to be to get to it. That's part of the ergo drummer technique is, you know, so I had to sacrifice a couple of nights and smash it my hand. But what happens in the end is that you realize that when you're in this analysis of it, while also letting your body naturally display it and figure it out for itself. It's almost like, it's, it's back, like I said, that martial arts, like letting them both kind of exist at the same time so that you're being free, but as soon as something goes wrong in that freedom, bam, put your brain in motion and say, whoa, that's not right, how do we figure that out? How do we solve that? Yeah. There's nothing better when, like, as an engineer, having an understanding and knowledge of frequency response is like a million times better than not. I mean, you could twist the knob all day long, but it's like you hear a Tom do something, you know exactly what to do. You know where to go. You can hear them. You start to get your ear trained to that. It's the same thing as drumming. You got to get the body trained to all those motions. And yeah, eating better, you know, and and living better, and that means like a state of mind, you know? I, I think that one of the things that helps me most as a drummer is when I'm out in life trying to, not trying in a conscious way, but subconscious again, being ready to receive an opportunity to learn something about how life's rhythm can be utilized in my drumming rhythms, you know? That's awesome, that's awesome. Can you can you demonstrate a couple minutes of just like a shorter version of what your, what your warm-up would be? Overwhelm and confusion takes down so many well-meaning drummers on the path. There are so many programs out there today where they just stick you behind a screen, you're all alone, and no one knows your name. No one hears the voice that wants to come out of you through the drums and in life. But that's what we do at LTR Drumming Life Through Rhythm where we unleash confidence through the drums and in life and all you do. And your voice matters. I believe in you and I wanna unleash this on the drums. And that's what we do, we craft your voice because you have something to say and you have something that wants to come out that's in your heart and that wants to be unlocked and out into the world. And that's what we do. You will have unbeatable confidence. So join me and the LTR Drumming Worldwide Community. chrislesso.net slash LTR. There you can book your first free 
drumming vision session. This is where we turn your dreams into a vision, a step-by-step -step plan where you know exactly what to do when you sit down to practice and you're part of a community. We are stronger when we drum together. There we can overcome the challenges and celebrate our victories. So connect with me, book your first free session. Let's cut through the overwhelming confusion so you can become your best self through drum. Can you can you demonstrate a couple minutes of just like a shorter version of what your what your warm-up would be? Uh yeah, you know, the warm-up it's interesting because when I'm out of practice, like for example over the winter when at least you know, I played little times here and there fiddling around, but basically I went, you know, two months without playing. Like November and December. And then January came, I was like, all right, time to start playing again. So right now I'm on about three, four times a week. It's not bad. So I do the regimen, but I'm, I'm a lot more in shape now. And I'm trying to amp it up more because I got that gig out in Vail in two weeks. And that's in front of 5,000 people. So you don't, you don't get on stage in front of them. And you get on stage in front of five people, you still got to bring it. But the point is, it's like that atmosphere, it provokes it out of them. Yeah, yeah. So you got to be ready for that. My adrenaline will be going and... So I want to make sure my physical form is ready for this thing too, you know? So that's a big part of why I do the routine I'm doing right now too. If I was just playing jazz gigs for the next six months, I wouldn't be beating my body up the way I am, you know? Yeah. Unless, you know, I would compensate for it in like workout and, and other types of routines, but there's no reason, you know? I, I try to look at a professional musician's job the way an actor looks at their job. They're not... That you work hard through all your preliminary years to develop the craft you want to hone in on and then give off as a professional. But then once you start to get involved as a professional, it's a very busy life. And then you realize, again, like I was saying earlier, one thing slack before, that's a different type of neglect. Then there's the other type of conscious neglect where it's like, all right, let me put this and this away for a little while while I focus on this. And I'll make a goal, get back to that. That's a whole different level. That's not really neglect. It's just kind of like categorizing your obligations to where you are as a professional. You know, that's what happens on tour for three years straight. I get home, staying focused on heavy, and then I start doing local work and I needed help. So the, the whole point of the routine, though, even if I wasn't blasting away and playing for heavy stuff and live gigging, even if it was a jazz type of thing, I'd still develop like a one-hour routine that allows me to play for an hour straight. Are you, it would, are you improvising within that hour? Is it like signposts of... Right, so now back to that, that, that inquiry from before. Basically, what's happening is anything that I know is some current patterns that I like to use just to help my body lock in with itself. I, I believe in the planes of the body being a very important part of how we drum more efficiently and more balanced. So when you look at the horizontal plane structure, we separate our body at our torso's end from the waist down. So I believe in having this independence between the upper body. Like if I'm moving my body like this up top, there's no reason for me to feel like I have to engage any part of my lower body to support that. 
if I'm playing double bass down below, and you wanted to talk about this, this is something really crucial. My drum teacher gave me, like, it's so easy, but it's not easy in the, in the playing sense. It's easy in the, it's just, you just do this. It's so simple. It's just 16th note strokes. But the point of the exercise is to build up endurance and strength, focus, balance, consistency, and also to build up that ability to start giving energy directly to the lower body without the assistance of the upper body. I, I don't know where drummers are at on the average now, but growing up in the earliest stages of double bass and metal drumming, I can't tell you how many drummers could not play double bass unless they were doing something on top. And what was interesting is that that made no sense to me because as a drummer coming up in the same thing, here I am getting my exercises going every day from my teacher, and I'm able to really focus in this straight up, like really honed in whole bass, balance, control, and the strength, you know, the deliberate delivery coming from both feet because of putting the work in to really hone that lower body in. And then when I started playing on top, that's when I started realizing why other drummers are doing what they're doing. If they try to play too much feet, their, their upper body is just doing things to try and keep the feet going and they could barely hit the drums on top. Not to mention they can't even play the feet cleanly without an upper body doing something to help them stay balanced. So they're all a mess. And here I am, like my feet are just like this and I'm on top just like, grooving and the feet are going and there wasn't you know there wasn't much happening and it's good to see a lot of drummers that are balancing out better now but they're balancing out in a very scared way they're not I, and i can show you like another example of what i do I, I i'm all about pushing myself again you know it's what i'm preparing for right now are, are a lot of work. I got to do like heavy metal playthroughs and stuff. I got to do a lot of heavy hitting work. So I got to like make sure that I keep pushing myself in this way. So what I try to do, can you guys still hear me back here? Yeah. Yep. yeah. Cool, cool. So what I do is like what I was saying before, Chris, you know, the, the 50 slamming strokes. And then to compensate for the right hand, instead of doing 50 slamming strokes, I do something that's applicable to the right hand. So I go over to the right and I just start like doing like a three stroke, ding -ding, ding -ding, ding -ding, like real risky, not all loose grip, but real risky, just pounding away and building up those tendons and those ligaments in the wrist and around the forearm. And I just push it until it starts to, you know, strain a little bit. So it's more like viewing what I'm doing as like going to the gym for drums. And conditioning my body, again, that five to one, that whole be ready for a little by being able to pound out a lot, you know? The efficiency factor is important to me. Especially, you know, when I, when I, it's, I always thought of it, when I read this article with, uh, I think it was Blondie's drummer, they, they analyzed his heart rate, how much energy he's using, calories, all this. Do you remember that, Chris? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. It was not a little article because it, it enlightened me to a lot of cool things. It's also validated so many important facts of why, as drummers, if we're going to play at that level, why staying heart healthy is important and being conditioned for that. And again, you know, again, you don't have to play that hard, but if you make that choice, then these will all 
the direct new avenues of, of applicable work that needs to be done in order to make that drumming easy. Because it's not easy. You know, your pounding can't be done in two minutes. <laughs> it's like a boxer who's ready to pound and they train for three rounds to just beat somebody up. If that guy on the other side can hang and it's round five, Mr. Three-Rounder is done. He's going to wind up being the one that gets knocked out because he's got no wind left. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's not even about being big or, or small. Or anything. It's about true heart conditioning. Let your heart be raised up. A running back, a running back has to really work his, his heart to be able to spurt and do the things he does and then whoop, pull back, get back on the line. That's crazy. Heart rate fluctuations of athletes are... You know, having an athletic heart is a very important part of heavy metal drumming. Yeah. So you're, th you're thinking like an athlete. It, yeah, an athlete is a martial artist. 24-7. Yeah. Like diet, how, yeah. Can you, now when you do the, when you do, when, when you do the, the, the molar stroke whips, you're doing that, you're not doing that on a pad. You're doing that on the drum. On the drum, and I, and I do the whole, my whole warm-up pretty much. I take little double bass breaks, but pretty much for the whole hour I'm playing double bass. Because it just helps create, like I was saying, that ability to hone separate body balance so that my upper body and lower body are independent from each other, but also connected through my core, my abs. So it might, the, the speaker will probably compress a little for the first measure or so. It should even happen. So basically what I do is I, I like to start light, and I was telling a lot of students this, don't jump into your warm-up workout with this whole, you know, I mean, it's your heart, be sensitive to it, so start out light. Now I've been playing already today, so I'm just going to pound out a little bit, but basically what you were asking about is, um, I'll work it, you'll know, you'll know when it comes in. Thank you. 
breaks it down kind of like one, two, three, one, two, three, one, one, two, three, one, two, three. The little push in there. So it's like a seven, six, or like I said, three, three, one, three, however you want to feel it, but it's 13. And that's technical. So we can take that mindset, like, figure out how to play it and stay very focused in the mindset of this executing rhythm. But I want to, you know, beat drums up and play. And that's one of the things kind of like what Chris was alluding to before. It's like there's levels of talent we can achieve when we're as relaxed as possible. But in this kind of game, we're trying to take that relaxed feeling and put strength conditioning into it as well, and athletic conditioning into it as well. So I have to stay loose and build loosely and really condition. I do pet work every day at home. You know, it's no joke. I know where my responsibilities are as a professional right now. So I've been off the road for a little while. I've been able to pull back. But I've got things coming up and I have a lot of heavy playing to do. And if I'm not in that state where, like Chris is saying, be loose, because it is it's a loose technique. It's a loose technique. It's not a tight stroke technique. But I use a lot of tight stroke, risky stroking, and I hold my stick firm. I hope the fingers get involved because I do need a lot of wrist strength to be part of this pounding. As loose as it is, the energy is still going to pummel through the joints. So you've got to be strong. The muscles have to be stretched. And after I play, i got to stretch. i got to make sure I'm conditioned. Uh, but the peak, it's like, let me show you the difference. Because anybody can learn, you know, this or that. But if something is played awesome and it sounds great, that's cool. But then as soon as you put yourself visually in front of others, I don't want to see what I just want to listen to. I now want to see something more than just listen. So I could do, so this is the 13-6 beat when I do it on the ride. I have a hi-hat version and then there's a ride version. So to condition my body, I can do, it's uh... Thank <laughs> you. 
And what's happening is that lately, yeah. my syndrome is changing. The, uh, the positioning, Krista, you know, we all this whole, you know, get into the position. And what I try to do from is you're going to hypervise this, this, this snare and actually go lower. Because if I'm playing normally, look at this. If I'm going to play with that, I'm actually trying, I'm avoiding the hi hat, but I'm actually trying to hit the snare right now. I can't, because it's too low. But this would be a relaxed snare drum Yeah, I just barely hit it off of the, the, uh, the overstroke. But right now, the way I'm sitting, a parallel, perfectly good stroke, nice and calm, would be right here. So I'd have to compensate if I wanted to play relaxed. So one thing I want to point out is that it's important to realize that things have to change sometimes based on what we're doing, too. And I think Chris, we spoke about this, that gig I was doing, I was letting Chris know that. The gig was more, it was rock, but it was laid back rock. It was driving to chill down. So everything I wanted to play, I wanted to feel a little more submissive. But it's like this. I actually sat and echoed the snare drum and played more up to the drum. And it made me feel emotionally connected in a way better way that had me more vibing on the laid-back rock approach as opposed to being like this and just being like, man, I, you know? It's so you, it's changed your, you changed your setup for a specific game. Interesting. Now, by changing the actual setup, but still utilizing the ergonomic formula that I created. So everything is still set up in a way so that it's based on a centered position and it still radiates out even. Right, right, right. But it's just set up, just like I tell students, I'm like, some people will tell you you have to have the drums flat and that is a really misleading line because angles, it's like, you know, if you take that extra second to understand geometry, angles and science, my drum is angled because when I get to my perfect impact point, it needs to be angled. If it was flat, I'd wind up hitting the hoop. I don't want to rip shot a drum, a tom, ever. You, you, you can't do that. I mean, unless you're, you know, intentionally trying to choke out a hit and create an effect on it, but you don't make tom sound good by hitting its hoop. And snare drums don't necessarily have to be hit as a rim shot either. That's a technique used for certain music, certain style. So I think it's important that drummers understand that, again, going back to the thing, it's like if it takes you this much each day just to get good at one genre, then you gotta, you got to take that same state of mind into the next one. I'll never forget, I had a, always had a desire to really, you know, embark upon learning uh, reggae. And I, I always kind of had like a generic understanding of what I think I think most drummers, just because reggae is just that type of music that everybody wants to appear in a reggae song, a Bob Marley song or something. And you get that, that quick reggae breeze of what reggae drumming is, and then everybody thinks, oh, I can play reggae. But what, what I learned, a friend of mine was working at uh, Sanctuary Records at the time. They bought out the entire Trojan Records collection. So he put me on the mailing list and I said, okay, this is a sign. I'm going to take advantage of all of this. 
and really hone in, just like I did with jazz. It was like, it was a listening education. How do these guys interact? How do they communicate with the different musicians? What's the key part of the drum set that makes the music for the band? And just like jazz, in reggae, it's the same thing. It's the, it's the high-end, it's the crispy stuff. If you don't have a musical hi-hat hand, a real dynamic, loose, flowing hi-hat hand that's musical and interactive with the band, you're blowing your reggae. You're going to blow. And that's what I think a lot of drummers lose it because they'll do, it's like, <laughs> I think just like any other genre where the, the rhythm focus, you know, I must learn these things and these patterns like drummers, they get wrapped up in all their patterns and then they try to put those patterns into songs and there's these two avenues that can happen. If they're musical enough, the patterns might get utilized in the right way. And then there's the other way where they're not listening to the song and they'll just do one of their patterns totally in the wrong place. And that's what happens with a lot of false reggae drummers is they'll do their little hi-hat embellishments when it makes no sense. It's jazz in Caribbean form. You play it with a sensitivity to the music you're involved in. You're not playing drums, you're playing a song. So you have to be there. Jazz ride cymbal. And Whitney Marsala says it, so this ain't me just bleh. This is something that I had in mind, I agreed with, and then when I heard Winton say it, I was like, well, a master has validated And he said, everybody assumes the jazz swing is ding, 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 and all that, that's the basic pattern. It's not how you make jazz. Jazz is made by being blah, 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 musically interactive, chemistry, so on and so forth. So it's, it's all about that. No? Re reggae's jazz in Caribbean form. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Cool. Does, does anybody have any uh, questions? Oh, we just lost John. Yeah, Troy, I'm just, uh, I'll be right back. <laughs> All right. Hold on. I can still hear you. Cool, cool. Yeah, I hear you. There you are. Yeah. yeah. Who wants to go first? I, I was going to just interrupt this a little bit. I noticed Dan DeBazio, he keeps on, I don't know if he's got his mic on and it's, He's tapping or something, but something's going on with that guy. Oh, right, I had heard that before. <laughs> yeah, he said some. He said something happened with his uh, with his webcam. So I, I think he's either hearing us or he's he's gonna go over the tape. And I'm actually oh, yeah. I'm actually gonna email him to get his question because I, I have I have some questions from uh, uh, people that couldn't be here. So I got a list. But Ryan, you want to go first with the question? Well, I didn't really like it. <laughs> Um, I basically, I totally get what he's saying with all that type of stuff. Like, um, I, Chris knows I studied with one of his former teachers who's a, a master jazz player and he taught me some things, but if I were to join, go and play with a jazz band right now, I probably, I would suffer, <laughs> but it'd be painful. Here's, here's an interesting um, little anecdote for jazz, just like anything else. And, you know, a friend of mine, he spent um, three years busting his, busting his back, really focusing in on becoming a jazz guitarist. He was a good guitarist, really good songwriter, but he, he didn't play jazz. So he said, I'm going to do it. I can do it. And he was reading this book at the time. I forgot the name of the book, but it's a book that says, you know, you can achieve greatness in a thousand days. You know, it's like a three-year plan type of thing. 
So he worked hard. He put the time in every day, and he got to a really good point. But long story short, he said something really great in, in uh, to like what you were saying. You can't play jazz. You can't. He's like you can. You can kind of come in unknowingly and run time. He's like. But nobody's going to enjoy playing the song unless the drummer knows the song and he's really playing the song and he knows it and he's doing the things that drummers do when they know the song. And, you know, with that attitude, the way he's saying it, I'm like, I love it because that's that's what it's all about. You know, there is music now. I'm not going to deny this. You know, there is music now. I'd say that classical Music, symphonic music, where it's orchestrated and the percussion section is under strict guidelines, I'd say that would be the equivalent of your modern-day, like, technical drumming-type music. But outside of that, I think that the world still wants an authenticity. And I think that's why I think a lot of these, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, I mean this more in a way that I, I hope that in some way drummers start to see the fallacy in what they're doing. But I think too many drummers are just putting out too much videos of just them drumming. There's no real performance in it. And I don't mean this disrespectfully, it's just like I said, it, it's only logic that I'm trying to understand here. If you're showing, excuse me, if you're showing me yourself, then I should be seeing something worth seeing. I mean, I, I wouldn't want, it's, it's like, a, like a radio guy when he says I got a face for radio. What he's saying is like, look, I'm not made to be on television. So this is where I make my message come out through talk. And it's the same thing as a drummer. It's like they were like some of the most ridiculous drummers in the world growing up that never you never saw their face unless you got, got the, the, the endorsement catalogs. And you're like, who's this guy? Who's this guy? And then you find out he like played on this album and this album. But you don't see him on stage because he doesn't go crazy. He just lays it down. He's boring to watch. You know, so that's the thing. It's like you got all these like guys that shouldn't be seen showing themselves off and everybody's like, wow, he's playing some crazy stuff, but he's not doing anything worth watching. And it's funny because the other night, my wife sent me two links. One drummer who was real choppy and I was like, done with him in 20 seconds because I seen too many drummers do it already. And then I get this other drummer from this band, Deerhoof. And this guy says, he's, he's got some skills, but he doesn't care. He's just freaking out. And I was like, I wound up going to other links. I watched like 20, 25 minutes of this guy. So, you know, it's a matter of like what it is first. You know, I think that's the important question is that we have to ask is like, what are we involved in this for? What is our engagement? Where, where are we going to get the most inspiration from when we engage it? Because music is its own interpretive thing. It's art. I can't tell somebody who's all technically involved that they're wrong. That's, that's a choice they made based on purposes they feel inside. This is art, and it gets interpreted individually. What I can say, though, I mean, you know, to hark back to the beginning, this is my life. You know, I like room music. That's how I like it. As I go along, I troubleshoot. Hey, are you okay? I gotta learn this now in order to not stay here or fall back. You know, if you want to progress in a lifetime experience, you gotta know that education is on the horizon every second, every day, every hour. It's it's you never know. My my tagline in my email is there's no punch clock for passion. You know, there there really isn't. You don't you don't punch in for something that is a lifelong endeavor. 
you, you definitely have a job, you do this, and you do all these things, but in between all that, you're not trying to shut it down. It sometimes will shut itself down. You oversaturate and you actually will just kind of freely breathe from it a little bit. And it's only a matter of how long it takes before it starts hurting you again, you know? That's awesome. Thanks, man. Jono, you're up. So, I guess, to, uh, first of all, I have to excuse myself for a minute. I have some obligations with my kids. And I don't mean I totally understand, dude. Yeah. I'm trying to get out of it. Go get there. Ken has three kids. Yeah, I apologize for that. But I do want to uh, touch on one thing. I have a few minutes. And something I struggle with. I'm relatively new to go out and play in this public. And I'm struggling, although I have to admit better at it now, but I'm struggling with uh, performance anxiety and how I'm feeling before performance. And I'm wondering, you've talked about the physical warm-up you do. What, what kind of mental preparation do you have, particularly before a show? What do you go through to help yourself with that uh, side of things? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something that Tiger Woods said. Um, I don't know if I could quote him verbatim, but basically he said the same thing that I feel. It's important to be a little bit nervous. What that means is that you have a desire and a passion to impress the people you're about to perform for. That should be inside you. If it's not, then you're smug and you have no desire to really impress anyone. You're just trying to show off for, for It's almost like you want people to be impressed by you as opposed to you going out to put an impression upon them, you know? They're there to receive a, a whole nother level of energy. So that's my job. So I'm going to be nervous. I was like, you know, these people have just paid money. They've, they've just, you know, put a level of trust in the fact that I'm going to entertain them. So if I don't pull this off, I mean, I've just let a lot of people down. So yeah, there could be that nervousness. Now, the level of nervousness is dictated by how prepared we are, yeah. combined with yep. how we maybe may feel that day. I mean, I learned a lesson real good. We went out for some all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet before one show. We got back, and it was just too close to set time. So, you know, everybody learns their own lessons, you know, and, as, and again, you troubleshoot as you go. That's how life kind of becomes amazing. And that's how life kind of yields you wisdom as opposed to just knowledge. Because you get that good stuff where you just tell somebody like a sentence and then they get like worlds of information out of a sentence as opposed to a textbook of, of uh, and, you know, verbal information. So, yeah, I think that it's important for all humans to experience mistakes because I think part of how we serve each other in life as humans is being able to be part of that compassionate experience as well. Not just being part of, of doing something productive, but also like understanding that we all relate to challenges. Nobody escapes life without a challenge. And I'm not just speaking about, you know, life challenges that we in our personal life are dealing with, but I'm talking about right now as a drummer and a musician, and how those life experiences, if we don't think we can succeed in our life experiences, it's, it's only going to create detriment as well. So when we get out to that, that point where we're ready to get on stage, our confidence in how we handle ourselves in our daily life actually plays a role 
in our confidence getting on stage because it's the same thing. Those people in the audience are the people at your job. They're the people at the store down the block. They, they were all the same. Like some guy asked me once, he's like, what's it like being a rock star? It's like the same thing as being a mailman. You get up and you do the job that you're trained to do. And then you go home and you figure out how to pay the bills because you're not doing that job. So you got to do something else. At least if you're a mailman, you you got to really blow it to get fired. But otherwise, you can run <laughs> 20, 30 years working every day if you want. Yeah, 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 yeah. People don't realize those security jobs. Those are those are those are a tough job. You know, like listen, I ain't gonna lie. I mean, I got kids too, and it's like I've got to experience a lot of ebb and flow in my financial situation for the sake of being able to not just do this musically, but also how much, I mean, the amount that it, it filters into my children and the amount of zest in life. So there's no way, even if I had to get, you know, which believe me, there's times where I have to do it. You know, I don't care. I have children now. So, you know, I'll go work someplace for three weeks straight and do graphic design work. That's why my mom and dad were smart and said, you better go to college and get a degree. So doing something else, you think traveling the world's going to live for a lifetime. Don't bank on that. You know, they knew, they were like, you're trying to be an artist. You got to spend the rest of your life doing that. So even though they were encouraging and, and very hopeful and faithful with it, they were also very like real about it as well. And I think that's a, a, an important part of everything from the live experience to what we're going to learn next. We got to be real. We got to be honest and humble with ourselves. And if you got a little bit of stage anxiety, Try and dig a little deeper into it. What is it that's making me get this? Is it, am I prepared on the songs? If that's not the case, well, do I, do I hang out with people? Like, am I the outgoing one in, in a social environment? Or do I wait for people to talk to me? Because that can make a big difference. And to be honest, the first time I ever had to get on stage was very young. My elementary school started every class on an assembly program from second grade. So I was on stage as an eight-year-old, you know, getting all jittery, but figuring it out. And so that helped as well, but I'm a bit, as you can tell, talkative and outgoing and opinionated. So that will express itself on the drums. I, and that, I really appreciate that. That's, particularly in your comment there about uh, if, uh, you work, if you're not nervous and you don't care. I think that's... that's uh, because you want to you want to project yourself as as well as you can, but you want the people in the audience to well, basically it's the, the old human thing of of accepting what you're putting out there. Well, it's and you want you know it's, and it's so, bigger than that, friend. You have children. You're you're a family man. Integrity, yeah. integrity is so important now. Admiration, yeah. integrity, but these are things that don't come by just showing off. They come by showing off what you've worked hard and humbly to achieve that then they have paid through their hard work through the week to then experience. People need to show, especially from a drummer. The last thing they want to do is know that a show is being brought down because the drummer's not lifting it up. It's, you know. Absolutely. Um, first off, Ken, uh, very informational uh, session we've had here, man. I really enjoyed it. Oh, glad you heard it all. Cool. Yeah, sorry, sorry again, the camera's uh, messing up, but um, I, I wanted to talk to you about um, actual drum set setup and ergonomics. Um, 
And because I'm on a mission right now to try to make the kit a little bit feel a little bit better to me when I'm playing, uh, right now I find I have some tension in certain areas. Uh huh. Um, the question is, what do you do to work around the drum set's physical limitations? So what I'm getting at there is, um, I got a 22-inch bass drum and a 10 by 10 tom, but I can't get the 10 by 10 tom exactly where I may need it for my hit to be. So I'm always working around that. What, do you have any suggestions of how to? I guess, uh, cope with that type of thing? Um, that's a really interesting question. Um, about a month ago, I wound up, I came back from a session, so I had to reset the drums up, and I said, you know what, I'm going to throw the 10-inch up to my rack instead. And it created too much complication because it, it pulls two inches away. So what happens is, believe it or not, it was it wound up like just being a little bit too much not not accessible in a way that I wanted it to be. Like, the way it sat, it just felt too small. It just didn't look right. Like, it just didn't look right. And I think I was talking to you, Chris, about this. And Dan, you know, it's important to understand that all our senses play a role in how well we do things. So when we're visually engaged in something, we want it to look appealing in a way that allows us to feel inspired. And that's all I'm alluding to. The 10 inch to me, it may not be this case for you, but in my case, I just couldn't stand looking at it. It just looked small, it looked unhittable. And I wound up then mentally creating some blockages. And I wasn't always striking it well. And so I said, nah, nah, I'm done. And I took it out and I opened up and I put the 12 inch back. So, you know, now could I have changed my mindset and kept going of course dan you know like this is a situation where the ergonomic aspects of having the drums set up in a way so that our body can radiate motion like in an emote in a motion that is smooth and concise is something that doesn't just happen in in one thing you have to start by sitting down and understanding how does my body sit. I, out of all the students I teach, every one of them spreads their legs open differently. Yeah. And out of all the students I teach, every one of them sits a little differently. Everyone has a different leg height, and this that that's where it all starts. From there, then you understand how everything else can start matching to you. The point of of the ergo drummer technique is to never try to get yourself to the drum but create a situation where your body motion is conducive to a drum position. So if you don't want to move around and you want to have a very stable body and just kind of flick around from your wrists, you generally want to try and keep the drums very close. You're not reaching very far. I have a lot of motion in my playing. So when you sit behind my kit, if I'm not warmed up, and the drums, some of the drums feel pretty far away from me. I feel a little low. My posture is not lifted yet. So by warming up and getting my body conditioned, I start to then see everything where it should be. Um, but it's all set up in a way so that I know, like I was saying before, my snare drum's a little lower than my actual stroking, normal stroking position because I'm laying into it. So I need that extra inch to an inch and a half lower because of the drive. It's a late release drum stroke. So it actually doesn't meet its impact point until an inch and a half lower than my normal impact point. So there's so, you know, I don't mean to 
to confuse you, it's just to explain this to a to a person in a quick way. That's it's impossible because it's something that you either have to then now at this point understand the level of analysis you need to be on. It's like get yourself in a good centered position. Understand how you sit. Then build your kick drums out from there, your snare drum, and then eventually you'll get to that tom. And what you want to be is in like Chris was showing. Are you a student of Chris's? Yep. Right, so you understand when he gets you in that centered position, we want to radiate from there. That's exactly what I do. I get in that centered position and you radiate out. The fine-tuning comes then in how much body motion you have. If I just flick to the tom and I go like this, and you'll see it later, and I flick and the tom is there, that's what I need. Remember, your drumstick is playing a role too. I use a 17-inch drumstick. Some people, if they have a 16-inch, now you've got an inch changeover between two drumsticks. So say somebody hands me a 16-inch drumstick, it's not going to work with my kit. I'll have to move an inch in from where I'm sitting. But now my playing style changes. You see how complex it gets? Absolutely. It's really important to analyze who we are, how we live life. You know, do we live life at a fast Hey, hey, chill, or a combination of both. Understand how that energy can then be put into our playing. And that's where we'll find those ideal positions. It's a honing process. It's it's not a technical thing. It's it's a combination of the, the technical part is more of the geometry. You know, think about a circle and you your drum throw, the, the seat is the center of the circle. And like I was saying, the water tank, you know. So that circle, you have to radiate out lines from you in the center. And as you radiate out, there should be something there to hit. A symbol, a tom, a snare. And that's your 12 o'clock. You're sitting in one spot. And everything is radiating out evenly from that. It's not disjointed. I've been building diagrams. And I'm going to, you know what, Chris? I'm trying to finish my workbook, which is going to take a little longer. But I do have some diagrams that point out the inadequacies of body disharmony and shows like multiple 12 o'clock setups and stuff. So maybe pass those off to you in some PDFs and you could pass them off to all these guys so they can. That'd be incredible. Yeah, because it's a lot to explain. And, you know, obviously I would never try to steal you away from Chris. I think he's an amazing, amazing educator. You're a great drummer, too. But uh, if you ever want to like get down on Skype for an hour and talk about this a little more and let me see your drums and let me see your body, I'd be happy to do that. I was going to say the exact same thing. Like, take advantage of this. This is this is actually why I do this. I want to connect people from around the world. And, uh, that's what it's all about, man. Like we're a tribe and we need to make each other better. And uh -huh. this, is, Amen. This, is it, this is it, man. So I, I want to. That's my kind of mission in doing this. So I was going to actually say that exact thing. Dan, hit Ken up for a Skype lesson. Do it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to actually check it out and see, okay, I see what you're saying about the Tom. And the circle thing even is just blowing my mind open of all sorts of questions I can ask myself next time I go in. Yeah, and if you guys have the visual, like you can figure out the webcam thing and and, uh, and then you guys could both see each other. Like that, that I'm Absolutely. That, that would help a lot. So. Yeah, let's, uh, I want to be, we all got daughters, so actually Dan is a new father, I'm a new father, Ken has three Congratulations. kids, Ryan, you, is, Ryan is a father of the drums, I think that's his <laughs> right now, I think. so 
But Ken, thank you so much for doing this, man. Like this is man, it's been so awesome. Uh, I had a blast. I really you're one did. Of my favorite human beings on the planet, man, and uh, this has been awesome. So thank you so much. Super cool. Uh, yeah. Anybody have any last comments or questions? Isolation is the enemy of excellence. You don't want to lone wolf it on the path and do this all alone. And so many traditional programs out there, they just stick you behind a screen. You become overwhelmed and more confused and no one ever knows your name. But I know you have a voice that wants to come out from behind the drums and into life and unleash unbeatable confidence in all you do. And that's what we do through LTR, Life Through Rhythm, drumming. So join a community. We are stronger when we drum together. We are all eternal students sharing and overcoming the challenges together. That's why you're here in this podcast, because you want to connect with the best in the world. Learn so you can craft your voice and say what you want to say behind the drums and in life. So join me at chrislesso.net slash LTR chrislesso.net slash LTR, where you can book your first free drumming vision session, where we turn your goals and dreams into a step-by-step vision that you know exactly what to do when you sit down to practice every day, cut through the noise, the overwhelming confusion. Join me on the path. I can't wait to see you on the inside. Drum with passion. Anybody have any last comments or questions? Very informative. Awesome. Ryan, anything? Any questions? I really enjoyed it. Uh, like, I'm just starting to get more into double bass myself, so um, maybe I'll hit yeah. you up. Well, for I'm down, down with that, but do it. Just, just to the bank right now before you go. Seriously, that exercise I was telling you my teacher gave me, it's... Pick about 110 BPM. That's a really good tempo because it's not too fast and not too slow. It'll challenge your ability to stay in control and try and focus that balance between the two. And just, it's just this. All you're doing is this. Now, I do it, like, when I first start coming back, like, in the winter, when I said I wasn't playing, I came back, 10 minutes straight, I'm, like, hurting, you know? It's like, you got to get those muscles conditioned. How long have you been playing double bass? Uh, with uh, some effort, maybe two years. All right. Have you ever done any lower body conditioning like this? Well, I mean, I basically, I do some of Chris's hand exercises when i'm doing them i'm going there you go yeah i'm just doing that yeah. doing his so now just try and cut the upper body out and focus on honing a balance for your lower body that can take place without like when you saw me before bashing on top and keeping the bottom you know that's that's what we want to get to yeah like i've been playing where i don't even use my hands and i do that but i also have been Trying to get a handle on, uh, I don't know if you're, I'm sure you're probably aware of the heel-toe technique for getting a, a double hit. So I've been doing that with both feet. Yeah. 
and it, it, it's gradually getting more consistent, but it's a struggle. Yeah, I don't, I don't endeavor the um, the more faster BPM stuff. Um, I'm more about being as fast as I can be while being powerful and efficient. Um, I didn't like any of that stuff only because as people started implementing it, like Jojo Mayer and Virgil Donati were implementing it in music that wasn't so saturated upon them. But the grindcore generation that's trying to implement these techniques cannot implement them without a triggering layer. You can't play those things and put power into the kick drum. I was talking to a friend of mine who I give lessons to, and I was like, usually if you really work hard, you could probably get up to about 190 to 200 safely with good power. Once you start getting over 200, you have to start changing your double bass technique to start getting those speeds to work. And it becomes less powerful. Yeah. It's just like drum stroking. There's, there's only so fast you can get before you have to chill on the power. Because you just can't get it up that high and lock it in that quick, you know? So it's the same thing with the feet. And I understand the doubles technique, but I would actually recommend at least trying to get more down with maybe getting like a direct drive pedal and focusing on those 200 plus BPM singles instead. Don't do the duck waddle, that's bad for your knees. Do not, I don't encourage that. Yeah, I don't sway my knees at all. Yeah, that's bad stuff. The guys who are trying to encourage that, that's bad stuff. There's people that are already suffering knee problems from that stuff. So, you know, when you start to get fast, believe it or not, your foot will start to kind of waddle a little back and forth anyway. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, I, you don't want to, I, you don't want to over-accentuate I've that. I've been playing single, uh, single uh, pedal with a punk band for years, and I do the heel-toe technique when I'm doing single foot doubles. Yeah. And, I mean, I got it down now where I don't even think about it. It's nice. just second nature, right? But yeah, to get the left foot, which I haven't used for used doing that, that takes a lot more effort. So, but I get what you're saying. I definitely when I'm doing the doubles, I'm that second hit is going to be less than the first hit. The first hit got more power because I got more of my leg into it. And that second hit. It's just the afterthought, right? It's so. Yeah, I get totally get what you're saying. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, no worries. I mean, again, it's it's that's the whole point. It's it's a matter of seeing the science behind it, and in this case, it's about physics, kinetic energy. You know, how much mass is in the energy, the velocity, and in that case, it's like that's even with the double hits. Like when you're doubling, you know, you could. Some people they practice it like the doom, the doom. You know, like a one, a one. Instead of one of one oney one you gotta do both ways because it makes your foot react differently both ways and it trains the foot to be strong on both sides of the double. Yeah, that makes sense. No matter, no matter what, we're going to make one less than the other, but if we train both sides of it going do-do-do-do-do-do as well as do-do-do-do-do, then we can really hone the muscle structure, how the muscles work on both sides of the hits. So maybe really just instead, like what I do too, is I encourage drummers to just do ankle exercises, not even on the pedals. But what I would say is to isolate it and just focus the heel side. 
and figure out what muscles are weak in this equation and is there a way to strengthen them and get them so that I can make them more explosive. Because that's the key. Bruce Lee proved that you can generate explosiveness from a very close range. So we don't have to have some kind of extra power. We can figure out a way. There is a way. You could probably get a, an energy source in there with a little more explosiveness so that your heel compounds a little harder. And again, it's always great to compare to your dominant side. If your right side is doing it more than your left, well, then the left can obviously do it. It's just a matter of the extra training. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid to try and catch up to the culture, man. I've, I've always been into, like, this much blasting, but now they're almost unavoidable. So I've been like, putting some extra training in and working my left hand for that. But I don't, I don't want to be this. A lot of, again, it goes back to the principle of power. So I'm all about training to a point where my blast beats are going to be powerful and actually lay the snare drum in where I know what it's about. Believe me, that ain't nothing new. It goes back to the 90s watching these cats. And the stroking techniques, they've got a lot more technique involved in their fingering and wrist pattern and wrist technique, but there's still no power. So. And Mike Mangini's really good with doing that, the, the single, the single-handed rolls, right? Doing oh, yeah. Like six notes and yes, yeah. yeah. oh, that's yeah. great up when you're doing a drum solo because nobody's playing over you, so everybody can listen and hear it. You know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. That's why I tell drummers, look, if you can play it, and I, this is an engineer that said this to a drummer. He tried to play this fill, and he was trying to play a fast fill, and he couldn't play the drum hard enough because he was like. And it was over a point where it was like heaviness on him. And he's like, I need to hear it more. And he's like, well, you barely hit it. He's like, well, because he was fast. And he's like, well, maybe you should have thought about that before you tried to do a fast fill and play it light when the music is heavy over you. <laughs> and, and, and this is, and I think this is the logic that maybe sometimes, not just the drummer either, I think any musician can be susceptible to this flaw where we want to put something in at an unapplicable time, you know? And I think that's the cool thing about a band is that they can have feedback to each other. Say, that's not going to work. And we'll try now. You know, the back and forth is such an important part of it, too. So, but in your case, uh, the back and forth we're talking about is this one. Awesome. So you try and isolate the heel and figure out what muscles need to get strengthened up. Sorry, I know I'm going long now. I gotta go get my kids too. So. No, it's okay. Ryan, hit hit Ken up for a Skype lesson. Do it. Right on, right on dude. Yeah. I, I play single bass anyway, so like like take advantage of this. And and Ken, thanks so much, guys. I'll send everybody the PDFs. Beautiful. Guys, and everybody says thank you. There's a lot of people that are gonna watch the the recording of this. That we have, we have tech challenges, so we we, we did it. And uh, right on, thank right you, Ken, so much, man. We'll do a part two. Right, hey, I'd love it. That would be awesome, awesome guys. Wicked. Everybody, we'll see you soon. Have a great night, everyone. Thanks so much, man. Thanks, everybody. My pleasure.